0: Welcome to Reputation
1: Town. Welcome
2: to another episode of the Reputation Town Podcast. This is Warren Weeks, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague John Perinak. And we have our Friday roundtable with us here today, a Who's Who, a Hall of Fame of Crisis Communications folks, media relations people and communicators extraordinaire. We have Shauna Bruce from MD Bruce and Associates in Alberta, Grant Ainsley, Media Trainer Extraordinaire, and Molly McPherson, friend of the pod host of the Indestructible PR podcast, and just coming off the heels of two presentations today. uh, A busy group, so thanks so much for making the time. I want to say welcome to everybody. We're talking about Hockey Canada today, uh, the implosion, the many-month implosion of the story that we've all watched in the the headlines. And uh, we're going to have a nice, raucous uh, chat about this. I want to remind everyone, since the CRTC is not involved, swearing is not only acceptable but encouraged, so depending on how you want, how, how colourful you'd like to get. Um, the first question I'd like to start off with is, where does this Hockey Canada situation rank in terms of mismanaged crises in, not just in Canada, because I know we've got Molly here as well, but in in crisis management um, lore? And we'll start with uh, Shauna.
3: You know, Warren, I think this is going to be the classic case study that we are looking at for years, because I don't think they did anything right with the way they managed this crisis. I think everything we talk to people about what not to do, they did, and they did it aloud. I'm not sure they're ever going to get out of the penalty box on this one.
2: Uh, I love a good pun. So that's very, very nice. Um, Molly, you're also a hockey parent. I know, Shauna, you are or were as well. Um, so many of us have actually paid into these funds that have gone to settle these sexual assault cases. Um, Molly, looking at this, and we, who thought Canada was boring, right? Look at all the stuff we have going on. Um, <laughs> looking at this crisis and as someone who's very involved with your kids and very involved with sports and also... I have to say, a TikTok star in the world of crisis management. What's your take on this situation, and um, where do you think that this ranks in terms of the the shitstorms or disasters you've seen just in the last couple of years?
0: One of the new metrics that I use uh, for basing the importance or the impact of a crisis is the DMs that is sent to me in TikTok or Instagram, and I have had multiple requests to cover uh, this crisis in particular. So I don't think it there is a line of demarcation between the U.S. and Canada on this. This certainly bled down, and and also just following it. I mean, I have been taking a step back and following you all covering it more, but as a as someone who lives in the northeast as a hockey parent as someone who pays into a USA hockey fund also I do a lot of work in board management and board PR crisis so that's the piece that's been particularly interesting to me and Warren the last time you and I spoke about this also as far as uh, as far as the um, the residue that this, that this crisis is going to leave. I'm going to put it up there at the top with the mm. Catholic church, the boy Scouts, the Quebec train explosion. Wow. I mean, this will be a case study for PR for years to come.
2: Wow. But like <laughs> that, that list, the Catholic church, the uh, lack antique, those are, those are biggies. So you think it's in that ballpark?
0: Well, I do because you're taking, you're taking a, what does this crisis revolve around? Like I I very much now in my work in, in, in public relations, crisis management is this idea of, of the victim because the victim is, or the victims determine the crisis either extending or stopping, you know, and the leadership's reaction to it. This particular case has so many, like you at the core of it, you have sexual assault victims. It's just at the core, you have that, you have their families, you have people who can experience it. Shauna, you talked about your daughter talking about this as a hockey player. I'm a hockey mom and I don't want to go too deep into it, but there was one comment that Andrew Skinner said when she did that television interview, when she had mentioned, oh, the lights will remain on because this is grassroots. When I listened to that, my immediately thought was every single time I have to pay fees to USA Hockey for my kids to pay hockey, I always think to myself, what am I paying for, right? So it triggered something in me. So a crisis like this triggers Mm -hmm. something in many, many people. And that's what makes it such an impactful one.
2: We'll go to our third guest of the day, Grant Ainsley. Um, Any thoughts? I know you're a huge hockey fan. Edmonton Oilers, that's your team, right? Mm -hmm. Connor McDavid, can't go wrong there. Hat trick the other night. Um, Looking at this crisis, where do you think this stacks up? And elaborate a little bit on your answer, please.
4: Well, it's certainly, I mean, if you do um, a list or a case study on the top 20 or top 10 Canadian crisis communication disasters, this would be chapter one. And the thing that's really puzzling to me about this is that this is a well-heeled organization with lots of money, hired navigator to, to help with its messaging, and, you know, in a situation like this, what people don't understand when it comes to crisis comms, I know everybody on the panel does, but a lot of people don't understand that, you know, you just do the right things and it'll all go away. And you're still going to have damage to your reputation. What you try to do is to do the right things so you lose gracefully, you know, 4-3. Uh, you don't want to lose 17 nothing. And, and the way Hockey Canada has played this is that it's losing 62 nothing. That's that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they should have taken some losses and, and you know, sort of, you know, they, they should have taken it, taken it on the chin, taken some losses and, and headed over. But it's mm-hmm. just going on forever. And I think the real problem now is the government has got its hooks into it and it's going to want more answers. And the answers are going to come when it gets to the books. And if it gets to the books, then I think there's a lot of issues. And this story is going to have legs for a long time because yeah. they're going to start to get into the expensive hotel rooms and perks for the board members and, and chief staff members. And, you know, it's not that people get really upset about millions of dollars, but they get upset about the $17 glass of orange juice. Mm. And, and I think we're going to start to see some of that uh, if um, if the government gets uh, gets a look at the books.
2: Because they were going out of their way to try to hide um, hide people from seeing that stuff. And so I think a lot of shoes are going to drop. Um, Paranak, co-host, friend. You're looking good. Uh, people, you can't see him, but Paranak is very snappily dressed today. Um, uh, Grant brought up Navigator. And I, I debated, do we bring this up or not? And Molly, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but Navigator is like one of the highest profile crisis management firms in the country and uh, has a penchant for I don't think I'm telling stories out of school here for becoming part of the story it's kind of like marketing for them like look at the crisis we're managing and it seems to work they have a roster of like tons and tons and tons of people um Paranac not to put you on the spot but what what do you think was happening in in that room do you think I'm gonna like let's be generous and assume that they were given the right advice did they just not take it because when you, when you bring someone in you're paying them a check like that to advise you during crisis and this happens, what, what, what's the, where, where's the disconnect?
1: I think that's it. My, to me, the analogy I was using is that old Seinfeld episode where he gets upset because he, he calls in and makes a reservation at the restaurant. And when he gets there, they haven't held the reservation. And as a consultant, you can give all the advice you want, but somebody's got to be able to, somebody's going to want to take it. And given the way the board was acting and not really providing any independent governance over the executive, I kind of feel like they probably just, no one was just listening to the advice they were giving. And, you know, in a roundabout way, um, even though this was a huge crisis, obviously tons of headlines and the organization, as Grant said, is probably gonna go through some things if I could quote Donald Trump um, uh, in the the coming days or in coming weeks. Um, I don't know if it's that great an example for others to follow because you know, it's like if the is standing on the train tracks, you say, hey, buddy, the train's coming. You might want to move off the tracks and they don't move and the trains still keep coming. And you're like waving and everyone's saying you really should get off the tracks. Like they just didn't do anything to help themselves. And I think it was because of the culture that was there. And you saw some of that in in the comments that were made um, around the time they hired outside help. And I think it, uh, there was some leak or something that was to the effect of, uh, we got to protect ourselves. We're a family. We got to fight back. And obviously, like to, to Molly's point, the victim, uh, they misplaced the victim tag on themselves versus the people who are actually victims. And that just completely uh, twisted their ability to to make objective uh, decisions, I think.
2: When I heard the board chair, Andrew Skinner, I, I think who mentioned her previously? Was it Molly?
0: I did. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: she made these, these comments where she was, they, they asked if, if you had to grade, also this is a terrible question. You should never answer with a number, with a number or a letter, but they said, if you had to grade CEO Scott Smith's performance, what would you give it? And she gave this really stilted, awkward answer where she basically said it was an A. And it sounded like she was at gunpoint to me. Like, <laughs> you know, like, and I say that flippantly, like, I don't think she really was, but It feels like this was an artificial board, like the board is supposed to be there for governance. And it felt like they were there as just this artificial thing that the CEO was kind of manipulating. I don't know if that's the case. Um, Does anybody want to jump in off anything that uh, that anyone has said instead of me kind of passing the mic around? Shauna, you had something?
3: I just want to talk about the board for a second here. And, you know, what's interesting to me, we talked about what Molly mentioned there with with Andrea and and the whole, think about that. I read this this statistic once that said, you know, CEOs, when you ask them a question, how good is your board? CEOs always say like, it sucks, like it's terrible. When you ask the board how well they're doing, they think they're awesome, right? Like it's this really out of whack, you know, um, statistic. But boards are responsible for strategy and hiring and firing. The CEO. That's their job. And I think that they also, part of that, they have to have courage and they have to identify risk and then question how it's being mitigated. So, over the time that this launched in May to, you know, here we are, fast forward to October, what were they not hearing? From every Canadian that has said, we have lost total trust in Hockey Canada. When these sponsors started pulling out of the conversation saying, whoa, like, you got to fix this or show us something that you're actioning in your action plan, hence the word action in the name, that we didn't hear anything about. Like, what is happening here? So I feel that they were not, uh, they didn't take the moral high ground. Because if they had fired that CEO and they'd taken mm-hmm. the moral high ground and said, we'll deal with the whole legality issue, you suing us later, because right now we got to get rid of you and start from scratch to start to rebuild trust. I'm wondering if we'd be where we are today. I don't I. I don't want to say I felt the CEO was selfish, but I felt the CEO was waiting until they finished that package for him to get him out of there. And I yeah. felt that they lacked courage in getting him out the door faster.
4: Grant. You have to look at the board, though. Uh, when this first happened, I looked at uh, I looked at the board very white um, very male uh, two two women on the board, six men. Uh, seven of the eight directors were white and five of them were 55 or older. and also apparently uh, none uh, bilingual uh, in both English and French. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an old boys group. It's, it's an old boys group. We've seen so many boards like this. I used to run a fairly large industry trade association in Alberta. I did that for 12 years. And there's a feeling within boards and associations and organizations like this when something happens that it's us against the world. And whoever walks out and tries to say something counter to the rest of the board, you're excommunicated and And I think that's where, and well, I'll get into the fun more in a moment, but I, I think that's where this happened where you might have had a couple of board members who go, Jesus, this even if they did know, even if they did know this is what some of the money was using used for, when it's you against, you know, high powered CEOs and the CFO and and others, you just kind of really don't want to say too much. And you sort of go along with the way everybody else, that's okay for them, must be okay for me too. I I really don't want to object too much. And, you know, everything seems to be fine. And, you know, so the the whole issue is, I I don't think the board really got a lot of information about where the money was going. And um, Justice Cromwell in his report said that the there. And there should have been oversight. I agree, Sean, 100% there should have been oversight. But uh, I think there was a whole bunch of things that went on that the board didn't even know about molly That's you,
0: probably you very true. yeah well I, as someone i do a lot of work with boards so when i was following the story i was following the dynamic of the board and grant you are absolutely right i noticed the makeup of the board and a lot of the boards who i deal with right now are primarily white primarily over the age of 55 and they're males and they usually have a token female or two and maybe you might have someone of a different of a different uh, race in there as well um, and you're also right like uh, boards because they are one removed from the outside world. Okay. The CEO is in that transition position. They're the ones dealing with the operations and the boardroom. So we really don't know, is it, is this crisis on the head of the CEO or fell in the lap of the CEO or is it the board? To me, it feels more like the board's the board falls into, especially when you have the same makeup, there's a lot of groupthink that happens mm-hmm. and no one wants to push the boundaries to be the one person who thinks differently. So you're going to have a status quo bias there. You're going to have the peer pressure bias there. And because they are one removed from the heat and from the press, and they're not the ones that are out there speaking, they can make these decisions. And so Andrea Skinner, you know, our token female, even though her press You know, her interview that she did off the cuff, which was so awful. um, It felt to me when I was watching her, I thought, wow, she went out for the slaughter. They said, let's take the woman, take the let's put her out and have her do it, even though she botched it. To me, this feels like, honestly, a board crisis, a governance crisis.
2: Mm. And now the board's gone. Um, Paranac, did you have anything you want to jump in on with that?
1: Well, i think that's where that's where rehabilitation starts though is with getting a proper board in place because that's the only hope you're going to have of trying to rebuild any trust with any sponsors is i mean look at that board there was no there was no former ceos there were a lot of well-meaning people who had dedicated their lives to local minor hockey or officiating or you know community service so all very well-meaning people but you know, if you look at, like, I don't know how many millions of dollars went through the coffers of Hockey Canada with all those big ticket sponsorships, but I, I would have expected a, a bit more of a uh, experienced board of, of former chief executives or others who had experience managing those kinds <clears throat> of situations or those kinds of executives. I think that's where this starts. They got to they gotta find a proper board to be able to re, uh, rehabilitate this this organization uh, one that can ex- exert some will. I, I, I can't remember who said it earlier, but, you know, it, it, the CEO can often bully the board around. Mm. And I've seen that before, too, in organizations where the board feels like they're just sort of filling some seats and it's really the CEO is, is running things. And that's not a good dynamic. And. That's the first place you need to get away from.
2: Isn't it possible that this board was put in place just for that reason so that they wouldn't raise questions so they couldn't see the big picture? I don't want to be too conspiratorial, but if you have a lot of shady business going on, do you want to have people there who are going to be scrutinizing or do you want to have people there who, you know, like the free trips and like the honorariums and that kind of thing? Maybe they were put in there, just not, not make a lot of fuss.
1: Well, it's a nice thing to have on your resume, you know, or not not anymore.
3: It was a nice thing. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. He, okay. So by association now
2: we see the sponsors, that's when everything happened, right? So this story yeah. came out in the spring and it was, we've talked about it many times. It's popped up and we're just waiting. Like it's like a tire just getting a little bit more air every day. You don't know when it's going to blow or which part of it. And the sponsors within a couple of days, Tim Hortons, Esso Scotiabank, Bauer, Nike, Canadian tire, Telus, Imperial oil, like millions and millions and millions of dollars the work to put that into place. So the question now is, no matter how we got here, is this organization, and from a crisis management standpoint, is this organization salvageable? Or, as the Prime Minister alluded to the other day, will they have to basically scrap it and put up something new with a different name and a whole new story? Um, any, Any thoughts on that? And Sean, why don't we start with you?
3: Well, you know that hockey Canada brand is everywhere, right? Everyone, everyone looks at that brand, and are they going to look at it in the same way today as they did six months ago? I don't know. If you're, if you're, there are parents across Canada that are choosing not to put their children in hockey this season because of this crisis, right? Like it's, it's filtered down to every community. Across Canada, so and I was reading their mission statement. Right, their mission statement to lead, develop, and promote positive hockey experiences. So, if you're a sponsor, and and you are the one, and I used to do this when I worked for an international company, I managed contributions in Canada. We were always looking at what are your what are your values, what's your mission statement, how do we align to you you're not touching them with the 10-foot pole. You're you're looking at the lack of policies and procedures and everything in place. And I don't know how they'll ever replace those sponsors. I do wonder about replacing the brand, but I think they at least have to start from the very beginning being open and transparent. And that includes to take that whole idea of the board selection right out of the hands of the organization. I, I think they need to put together um, a skills and competency matrix and then bring some outside players in to help do that selection so that they are open and transparent from the get-go. So whether or not they keep the brand or not, they at least have to start and demonstrate that they're doing things differently. Talk the talk and then walk that walk.
2: I'm not sure if any of the board members or the CEO, if you sat them down and Put the heat on them and said, "Recite your organization's mission statement word for word." I don't know if any of them could actually do it. You know how these—you hire a consultant twenty years ago, you pay a bunch of money, come up with this thing, you stick it on the wall, and then some organizations live it, some don't. Clearly, um, Molly, you brought something up that that tweaked a question in my mind about uh, USA Hockey. Is that what it's called, the organization?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Not to stir the pot, but like, what do you think the odds are that some? shenanigans like that are going on there. Like I would have to think if I'm in that organization, they've got to be kind of keeping their head down and hoping that this doesn't blow in onto them.
0: Oh yes. Well, as, as an aside, my daughter's college hockey team is in this edition of the magazine of USA hockey. (laughs) Um, But uh, yes, no, you're absolutely right. And, and the issue has definitely hit the U S hockey scene as well from a professional level um, from the minors, you know, level as well, but not, you know, not as big, but it certainly happened with lawsuit with the Chicago Blackhawks certainly there. But I'm certain that if you were a part of USA hockey, right now you are wondering and there is invested there's going to be investigations there too, finding out what what cracks do we have within our organization it's not i mean in canada everything is fine there so if this is happening in canada um certainly there's going to be some element of it happening in the u.s now canadian hockey when you talk about hockey canada and the brand itself it is so much more of a powerful brand i mean just hockey in canada is different than hockey in the u.s uh it, it doesn't permeate like quite like it does um, in Canada. But as someone who grew up in Minnesota as a Minnesota North Star, I I understand how you can kind of bleed this sport. I don't think they're going to change. I, I, I don't know if it were me. I wouldn't be changing the brand because it is such a solid brand and really, what are you going to call it? But it's bringing in not only a new board, but perhaps there's going to be advisory committees. They're going to look to the families, to the mothers, to the parents. There's going to be a lot more. um, There's going to be, you know, look at the Boy Scouts of America. Like what did they have to do in very similar circumstances? Um, The last piece that I'll say about a board, even though a board stepping down it, in its entirety is a good thing to kind of just try and scrape away the residue of this crisis. The problem is bringing in a new board is essentially starting over. It doesn't mean it's going to be great overnight. It's actually going to be really, really difficult to, to get up to speed to understand how to do it. So I think this is going to just be a rocky ascent for them for a while.
4: Mm. Anyone else want to jump in on that? I think it, you know, I, I think it could be a great comeback story uh, if we looked at it in two or three years down the road and they do all the right things. So I, I'm not ready to uh, bury Hockey Canada yet. Um, I think if a lot of good things are done, I think you might look back at this as, um, um, you know, as something where a real turning point and and things are a lot better. the The thing that I wonder about is how they got there in the first place. So... Justice Cromwell, in his report, he said the fund that they misappropriated spending with the with paying off the sexual assault victim in 2018 and and other cases. And apparently there were two of the funds. Um, it was called the National Equity Plan or something like that. And it was mainly set up to provide coverage and help for Hockey Canada if they were not insured for something or under, underinsured. Which is very common, uh, you know, like we we can take the first million dollar hit, but we can't take a, a three million dollar hit, as an example. And so forms of this reinsurance are around the insurance industry and, and other organizations uh, a lot. And. As an example, years ago in Alberta, uh, a lot of roofing contractors couldn't get insurance coverage because there were so many roofing fires. And so they set up their own reinsurance um, scheme where everybody paid into the fund, and then if they were hit, something over and above. So what Judge Cromwell was saying, Justice Cromwell was saying, was that this, this makes sense. And I don't know why, even at the beginning, they didn't say This is why we have the fund. Um, This is why it was set up. It made a lot of sense. It helped us in this area, this case, in this case. Here's where we went wrong um, and list some of the details. Um, You know, admit your mistake, take accountability, have a bunch of people fall on the sword at that time. And you might have been able to avoid this total meltdown. But they, they sort of played fast and loose. They apologized, but, you know, then some more news came out. And thank God that we do have reporters like Rick Westhead and those from the Globe and Mail that have, have covered the story. You know, kudos to them because Hockey Canada was like, okay, we'll go do this and, and that'll all be good. Well, then, then more stories came out. And, and every time they appear before the government, it would almost unleash two or three more stories that they, they didn't really mention when they were there. So I think if they just would have come clean and, and been on honest and Hey, you know, we made a mistake. We thought this was the best way to go. Obviously not, uh, you know, resign, resign, resign. And and I think it would have saved a lot of the damage to that brand, but they didn't do that. Here we are. And um, you know, they've got something coming up next week, which could uh, really be interesting.
2: What is it about large companies specifically Boeing, right? The two airplane crashes, and then the seven or eight months between the crash and the kind of apology. I'll call it an apology because it kind of sucked. And then they let go of the CEO at Christmas. Um, These large organizations, United Airlines, even, you know, when they beat up the doctor and they screwed up the, like, what is it about these large, well-funded, they have anything they want. They can order, get consultants advice. And, and this stuff's all free. You can go to Google, how do you handle a crisis? Whatever, that would have been better than whatever they did. Why do you think it is, and I'd be really interested in everybody's opinions on this, that smart people, I'm going to say in, in their normal life, nice people, empathetic people, in these leadership positions at these large organizations who have access to any help they need, continue to screw this up, especially after seeing all these other examples of it. What do you think is going on in their brains? or not going on in their brains. And um, Molly, why don't we start with you?
0: Lawyers, <laughs> shareholders, ego. They A lot of people think that they can just grit their way through a crisis that they know best. Uh, lawyers are allergic to apologies, accountability, um, but in the environment that we're in nowadays, uh, the public will not tolerate a lack of accountability. I'm noticing now is... In a crisis, that's the linchpin, is the accountability. If it's there, you can get through it. If it's missing, it will continue. It, it, that's simply what it comes down to, in my opinion.
4: Great answer. I think it's a lot like, um, you know, why people cheat on their spouse. They don't think they're going to get caught. And And I think that a lot of organizations think they can talk their way out of this you know, they get the consultation from communications firms and, and, you know, maybe they're saying, you know, accountability, accountability, Molly's hundred percent, right? Yeah. That kind of looks like a loss. Um, you no, know, I think we can get around this. And, um, and I think hockey Canada figured it could get around it. And, and, you know, here we are four months later and they got some, some huge problems now. And they're starting to bring back in former CEOs to speak. And, um, you know, these are you know two of them are connected to the Edmonton Oilers. One is the chairman, Bob Nicholson, and the other one is um, is a former coach, Tom Rennie. So they've run the basically ran the organization from nineteen ninety eight to twenty sixteen, I think it was. And so um, you know, or to, no, till twenty twenty two. Like they, the two of them basically run the organization. And I, I think one of the things that we haven't heard from us enough is from the former CEOs. Mm. And, and apparently we're finally going to be hearing something from Bob Nicholson. It's interesting. I live in Edmonton, and there has been nothing in the local media, which to a large degree is bought and paid for by um, by the Edmonton Oilers, and Shauna, you'd probably agree with this, um, that we've heard nothing from Bob Nicholson or even the media discussing Bob Nicholson's potential role in all of this. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting uh, if and when he gets in front of the uh, – uh, House of Commons Committee, it has to answer some questions. Paranac, we haven't heard
2: from you in a bit. Um, why do you think it is? And you, you deal with organizations in these situations all the time. Why do smart people with unlimited wallets continue to make such terrible mistakes even when people are screaming at them to to change course, like your guy on the train tracks?
1: I don't know. People people in, in a difficult situation where they're caught out, they're more likely to, rather than grit, uh, take the, the more quicker, but maybe slightly short-term, more painful route of, you know, apologizing or uh, changing course. They just hunker down and they feel, they feel like they can go into bunker mode and that's, that's where you, you live this thing out. Um, I just think part of, part of human behavior. I think, I think it also is the differentiator between, um, you know, consultants, lawyers, and others who are smart in dealing with these situations and ones and executives uh, and others who kind of get caught up in the situation and become prisoner to it. Um, that's uh, that's the differentiator. And, you know, hopefully in those cases, that's where you, you look and say, well, I'm, I have people I'm paying people to help me with this. And so maybe I should take their advice. Um, isn't always the case as, as, as we saw. To- it's just weird. It's just one of those weird things. Yeah, we, you know, hey, it wouldn't I, have, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have a career if <laughs> there weren't enough of them.
3: But I think, you know, Molly mentioned, I mean, lawyers, right? Lawyers, shareholders, and egos. And and it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned, Warren, about, you know, nice people making decisions. I, I don't know that all of these leaders that get to this level as CEOs are nice. I mean, I have to be careful. My husband's a CEO, and I think he's very nice. But when I think about this, some of my experiences are that you get... You get kind of a bullying behavior sometimes at this senior leadership level. And you know, I always tell my kids with any career move or school move, you know, you don't get success without taking risks. And it's true. When you think about the people, even on this on this podcast, who have are successful in what they do, they've taken a risk about trying it. And I think what happens is those people at that level of leadership are more comfortable taking risks and making decision about risk and they downplay the risk in some cases. So, you know, yeah, I can get around this. This is not going to bring us down. We're hockey Canada. Who's going to, who's going to come out for us, you know, and take a slap shot. Nobody. So I, I feel that in some way it's that whole, they're willing to take risk and, and they are looking out a bit for number one because of those things that we mentioned, the legal, the shareholders and the ego. Mm.
4: Sounds like a great book, Lawyers, Shareholders, and Egos. <laughs> Trademark Molly McPherson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: And so the, the part we haven't talked about is these eight players, we still don't know who they are. We know the pool from which they could be, but there are other shoes to drop here. And that's one because at least what they say, I think six of these guys are working in the NHL, pulling in millions of dollars per year. Some of them may be married. Um there's a whole other spin-off to this and Molly you're, you're aggressively nodding well, your head. Well,
0: that spin-off is also called secrecy, yeah. right? So this crisis started under a veil of secrecy with a board that got comfortable keeping secrets. And from a mindset as Grant pointed out, you know, when he was listing the ages, of a, They they came up at a time when secrets were kept, especially in these personal matters. That's why I liken it to the Catholic Church scandal that started in Boston. It all starts with secrets until they reveal, and then the floodgates are open. Mm.
2: Is this the next, and, and I might be getting this wrong, but is this the next version or the next chapter, or is it some kind of mutation of the Me Too movement? Is it going through, is this going to be a catalyzing moment because like the um, they have twenty one complainants go- going back to nineteen eighty nine I think and there's a certain culture in hockey these players go from town to town and you know whatever cavorting are we are we gonna is this the tip of the iceberg are we gonna start to see more situations like the the police where this took place in London Ontario allegedly advised the victim not to press charges and there's a whole bunch of things that are really uncool about this but and we're seeing this in the music industry with the arcade fire guy i don't know his name i don't like them very much but are we going to see more of this anybody
3: i think we need to disrupt um, what what we might call the normalization of this kind of hyper sexualization that we find in some of these cultural systems i mean we need to we need to be talking and and introducing the the training and the education that is going to actually make a pivot in how people are thinking that this is normal. You know, this is not normal. It, I don't know that it ever should have been considered normal, but it's certainly not in today's society. People are being open and transparent about these types of situations. And all I can think about in this case is how are those survivors of these situations feeling when they see this complete inaction? by Hockey Canada. It, it is adding trauma upon the original traumatic event.
4: That's a good the challenge point. for them is that they've signed non-disclosure agreements, which is part of the deal, right? So, hey, this is never going to hit the media because these people have signed NDAs. So we're good. And, you know, that's, I think, a lot of the thought of uh, of Hockey Canada because uh, NDA came along with, with every time that they, they, they sent out a check. Uh, before you get the check, you have to sign this. And, and so I think that they felt that that was going to cover them. Paranac, you were going to say something?
1: I was just going to add, I think this is going to be a catalyst for in other sports, a uh, spotlight being shone on abuse and of different, all different sorts. Um, I, I know that this is, that this is already percolating um, in and around some of the hearings that are happening in Ottawa. And I think just the the media, Catharsis that's going to continue as a result of the 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 continuation of what's happening with hockey Canada is going to lead to other sports being looked at, where there's uh, maybe not the same sort of high profile nature that hockey Canada has had, but um, you know uh, women or other people who have been subject to abuse in in amateur sport, um, I think are going to are going to be able to use this as a as maybe a moment to get some sort of I don't know, more oversight or more attention paid to how, um, how those organizations are run or the, how those sports are run because it is out there. It just doesn't get the same amount of attention as hockey is received. I agree, John.
2: I want to move on to advice. Like, so what can other leaders, chairs of boards, directors take away from this? In their own organizations kind of like cautionary tales or some more advice for those folks before i do is there anything about the crisis itself that anyone wants to mention or that we didn't specifically ask or anything you wanted to get off your chest
4: i'm just going to mention if i can jump in the the role of the media in this um you know certainly the news media has uh, you know been beaten with. All kinds of weapons uh, over, the, uh, over the last 20, 20, 25 years to where it's to its, um, you know, a shadow of its former self. But uh, thank goodness the media is still out there, still reporting. Um, you know, kudos to TSN. Uh, Rick Westhead has broken more stories on this in Canada than, than anybody else. And every time he does and TSN puts it on Center, they're really um, affecting their own product. Uh, TSN, um, because they lost, <clears throat> excuse me, they lost hockey to Sportsnet, the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the CFL, but, you know, but ratings are not big for the CFL. Uh, they rebroadcast the NHL and tennis and different events like the Breeders' Cup and so on. But it, the this is the probably the biggest single event that it does each year. Uh, it's the World Junior Hockey Tournament. And so every time Rick Westhead breaks another story about this and they have it on Sports Center, and they interview him and they interview other people, they're really um, hammering their own product. And we're in the situation now where TSN last week or two weeks ago very quietly said, mm. uh, we'll let you know about coverage of this year's World Juniors. And a month ago, they said, we're covering every game. Well, obviously that was then and this is now. And um, to think that TSN... Is looking at at not covering the World Juniors, uh, cutting back coverage in a very large degree, is is really really astounding. But when you realize that so many of the sponsors have bailed, and those companies are not going to advertise, they're not going to be put advertising on the World Juniors, TSN is going where are we going to find advertisers that are going to pay the shot to to get on here? Mm.
2: Could it be? Is it is it possible that the leaders of TSN are playing the long game? And because I think as a viewer, I'd be more likely to watch TSN because of Rick Westhead as opposed to, so they might be hurting the product in the short term, but like getting rid of the poison, getting rid of the what's wrong, fixing it. And maybe in a year or two, uh, the, the sponsors and the dollars start coming back. I'd like to think that's happening.
4: I, I think they would look silly if they ignored the story. Yeah. Um, what I give them credit for is that not only have they been running the story, but they've been running it big. I think it would look really ridiculous of like, Oh, geez, you're not getting any coverage on hockey Canada on TSN. Wonder why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't think they really have any options, but I do commend them for running it bigger than probably even, even they have to. Uh, so advice to other leaders, CEOs, chairs of boards, we
2: all work with organizations. People listen to this. Um, a lot of times we talk about a hope being their crisis plan. Let's just keep our fingers crossed and hope it doesn't happen to us. And obviously when it does and things start happening and and fight or flight mode kicks in, it's too late to get good at it that day, right? You have to build these muscles in advance. And so we'll kind of go around the horn and uh, what would be your advice to leaders who might be in a similar situation? It could be a whole different industry. could make ice cream sandwiches or bicycles or services. What would be your advice to them? To try to safeguard your organization against this kind of situation, and um, why don't we start with uh, Molly? How about yourself?
0: I, you know, I am working with the reluctant leader and the reluctant boards all the time. I feel as a consultant, my job is always to explain why we need to look at it a certain way and i often use examples for a reason why not to why not to do it and and if you think about just the issue of hockey canada in sports you know, down in the U.S., at the same time, we have U.S. women's soccer going through the same thing. And prior to that was U.S. women's gymnastics. I think people are understanding now that cultures are changing. Um, this idea of the bystander effect is changing. People are more uh, more comfortable speaking out now. Um, so I would always go towards the example, you know, what could happen. And for Hockey Canada, I think a, a great crisis takeaway is What happens in secrecy? You will not get through it, okay? So, and the longer that you keep secrets, the longer that you let this go on, the worse it it will become. So that would be um, just my takeaway is that the, and I'm always a big person in accountability. You have to take accountability for something right away or no one will ever forgive you for it.
2: I feel like we're going to be able to take that clip and play it in the future for so many other organizations. Molly told you. Back in, <laughs> back in October. Paranac, how about yourself? What would be your advice?
1: I think you start with making sure that you have a, like an honest set of, um, uh, not only executives around you, like your, your colleagues that you work with. if I'm the CEO or I, I'm on the comms director there, I want to make sure that I have people around or are willing to give straight up advice and, um, you know, real experts in their field and then make sure you have, you know, you, you have a, a board that is, is going to be there to challenge you appropriately and and provide the right kind of oversight. The board shouldn't be um, sort of a prize appointment as a as a thank you to someone. It should be there to actually deliver, uh, help help the organization plot a uh, a good strategic course and then stick with it.
2: And in some industries, if 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 I'm not mistaken, sometimes the board members can end up going to prison or being fined tremendous amounts, depending on the industry. Shawna, you probably know more about that. Um, Shawna, why don't we go to you? Advice for executives to try to prevent. I always say if we had our magic DeLorean, I did my Marty McFly thing.
0: (laughs) You and Marty. (laughs) You love Marty.
2: Anyway, um, I, I feel more like a Christopher Lloyd, I have to admit. Um, But until we invent that magic time machine, what would be your advice to executives to help them prevent this kind of stuff from happening?
3: Well, I I work a lot with industry and uh, and I am often saying, you know, what is what's the worst case scenario that could happen here? You know, what what will impact people? And uh, and you should be having some conversations about how you're going to deal with that before it happens. So this is not a new scenario for Hockey Canada right? I mean, they have had these allegations, they have dealt with these cases, and yet they still didn't have a plan on how to be accountable for it, you know, be proactive on what they were going to share, and they lagged in the timeline, right? So I would say to these CEOs in that every company or every organization can have something that goes wrong. Sit down with the players around your table, and I don't just mean your communications people, you need your lawyer, your HR people, everyone at the table and have a discussion about what could possibly happen to us that we would not want to go public about. Let's talk about how we'd go public about that. I, I think that's, it's getting back to basics. Like Molly says, be accountable, do the right thing, get out there and be seen to be doing the right thing and take those actions and be proactive. You're never going to get ahead of it. But my gosh, these guys let that train go right across Canada without even catching up to that engine.
2: Love the intensity. And Grant, you'll be the anchor for today. Last word, what would be your advice for executives to avoid this kind of uh, firestorm?
4: I think they have to understand that it it uh, they have to deal with something that is is out there that they don't see every day, they may not see, but they have to spend time, energy, and money to deal with it to make sure that when it does happen, they're ready for it. And, and that's really difficult uh, for a lot of CEOs and boards to understand because they're in a mentality of dealing with sales and profit and or even if you're a not-for-profit organization um, you know hitting some of the some of the things that you want to hit and they they say well you know it really has nothing to do with us well it has everything to do with you and it has nothing to do with the bottom line today but it could have everything to do with the bottom line tomorrow so they just have to understand that um that it's a little bit like the boogeyman they don't really understand it but There are people to help them to make sure that they're, they're, they're talking about it and they're setting up procedures to deal with it before it becomes a big issue. Beautiful. Anyone else have anything they want to add before we, the the, the
2: typical media training question, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap Mm -hmm. it up?
3: I wish Nobody. them every success because hockey, hockey is Canada. And I read that somewhere on Twitter. That's not my own thing, but it hockey is Canada. And, uh, and I can't imagine us, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't want to see this impact all those future little timbits out there that want to be NHL players down the road.
2: Okay. Molly, and I see your face. What are you going to say about USA? Hockey?
0: Uh, Oh, no, 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 no. I love it. I don't. I I mean, as soon as Shauna was saying this, and we can both say we're both hockey moms, right? The story is a sad story to me. And I would just the feeling that there's some child out there that doesn't want to play hockey because this is is happening. So we so we certainly hope that there is a rebirth. Yes, people like to bring down companies, but there's nothing better than a comeback story. So hopefully that will be that Mm -hmm. true for Hockey Canada.
4: And, and I think we have to look at Hockey Canada's roots. It was um, kind of a merger back in the, what, 90s with the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association or something like that. And and Hockey Canada was really tiny when it, when it started. And, you know, it hit on this thing of, um, you know, television and World Junior Championships and became this huge powerhouse with, you know, tons of employees and roots all across the country. And maybe it just grew too big without the proper governance. And we're looking at it now and we're saying, boy, look at that board of directors. And you've got, you know, somebody that was, you know, a coach and and was involved with minor hockey in his community for 22 years. And then he got moved up to the provincial level and now he's on the national board and he's got to be involved with multi-million dollar decisions. And it's, um, I think the whole thing, I, I think I'm really glad that we've talked about the role of the board and how a board should operate in a situation like this because i i agree i i think there's going to be a lot of heat on former ceos as there should be um but this is really about a failure uh, by a board of directors great comments from everyone thank you very much
2: for doing this uh, before we go i'd like to paranax sent me a note today about uh something we covered a couple months ago and i just want to throw it out on the, on the table if anybody wants to jump in so you'll remember Rogers had that huge outage in July. They, 2.30 in the morning, they didn't announce it till the next day. They put that poor guy, the tech guy on the news, and he just got eviscerated. The company was just, like, <laughs> I have this slide where I mention 10 different logos of companies, and I get people to give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. And Rogers and Bell both get the most vicious. Uh, people just are so angry. Paranac's question, which I thought was a great one, is, so What? We were all angry. We're all upset. I'm a Rogers customer still paying the money every month. What was there a reputational hit or did we just get angry and we vented and we tweeted and now it's back to normal. I don't know if there's an actual answer to this but I'd like to just throw that little hand grenade on the table and see see what you think.
0: Well, Canada has certainly had its run of bad crises lately. I mean, it was quite the summer, the year of the crises. You know, as soon as you said that, Warren, I'm looking at John thinking that that is a brilliant statement, right? And Shauna said it like, what's the worst thing that could happen? So what? But let me tell you something. I never heard of Bell Media before I heard of Bell Media. And now I will never think of Bell Media or Rogers differently ever again or Hockey Canada for that matter. Uh, So there's there's that, you know, you go either way.
2: Oh, that's great. Anybody else? Did they, did they take a hit or, um, like, and, and, and what, what's the value of a reputational hit just because people are angry, I'm sure they're still making the same amount of money and where are you going to go? You're going to go to Bell Media. One
1: one matters and one doesn't. One matters. I think the, the, uh, the Bell Media one matters because they blew themselves up on a, on on an issue that wasn't related to the service they provide. It it blew, they blew themselves up on an issue that was related to the values of the company Uh and, and that's tougher to fix. Roger is a Canada small market. Like you have only like two or three choices when it comes to media, like where you're going to get your cell phone. Um, and so, and they're both, they're both bad or they're all, th- they're all three of them are bad. And so it doesn't really matter on a service basis. They all have little hiccups. And I think that's why the C the, the executive suites don't really care about this too much. It's like, yeah, bad stuff happens. We'll paper over the stuff with the regulator. We'll run some ads saying we're sorry and we're committed to do better. And then six months later, everyone sort of moved on, and it's all like, yeah, we don't like the company, but it's it is what it is. So that was that. That was just my, my thinking that sometimes, as much as you know, we may think it's always a big deal. At the end of the day, given the market, it's like eh, I'm not sure it is. Sad, but you
0: isn't know. It? You
3: know, it's sad. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Grant. Yeah, I was
4: just I was just going to jump in and say it's sad. Because John's right. Uh, until we look at numbers, I guess, sales figures, which I, I don't know if they're readily available, but and show a big drop off in subscribers for Rogers. Um, John's right. Like, no big deal. Life goes on. Everybody, you know, gets their shorts and a knot for a while. and And then life goes on and Rogers makes just as much money or even more money. And so, yeah, we don't have a lot of options. You got to use a cell phone. You got to pick one of them. And uh, I I don't want to I don't want to go to Bell after what happened there. So you don't really have a lot
2: of options. I was going to say that the one the Bell Media thing that it was a month long crisis. She tweeted Lisa LaFlamme tweeted on August 15th or 14th. And the thing that actually ended it was the queen dying the queen yeah. dying ended oh. that crisis for them because she yeah. got picked up by another network and like oh my god thank god the queen died that's great i'm not saying oh that, yeah the the
4: <laughs> i i've always thought that that uh, you know when you've got when you're really in trouble you just pray that a big story comes along to knock you off the front page and then hockey canada yeah,
1: you getting like, pictures of somebody from balmeady in the kitchen of Buckingham palace or something <laughs> Tampering with the, but but in in that case, I think it matters because like their whole, they built so much equity into this idea that they care about mental health and, and you know, Bella talk. And I think it undercuts a lot of that. And so for that, it's a damaging for the organization. It's like Ellen,
2: right? I'm the kind lady.
1: Yeah. And it turns out
2: she was a total bitch. So you can't, it makes it worse when you market yourself as the kind lady. But and the, maybe we,
3: we we won't see that that pushback. Sorry, from that from that Bell-esque talk until this this spring, right? Like we'd already gone through that. Yeah. So maybe when that comes around, we're start going to start to see that backlash. But but you know, you mentioned about what I will say in, wearing my emergency management hat because I support a lot of emergency managers. Is what that Rogers outage did though was identify how frail. Our infrastructure is in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that what it prompted was a lot of municipalities to look at their 911 system, mm-hmm. reverse 911. How do we manage this better? And how do we make sure we are never without coverage again? So, although that's not really about the Rogers brand per se, what it prompted was a lot of activity to promote better public safety across Canada.
2: Awesome. Anybody else, final thoughts?
4: Well, the other, the other thought that I think is it's it's a crisis if it affects you. What's the story about a, 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 a depression, depressions if you lose your job, uh, recession as if everybody else is it, – It it's how it affects you. So uh, I'm not on Rogers. I'm not affected. Um, I'm not on Bell. I'm not affected. Are you on so Shaw? You, you prob- I'm on Shaw. You're yeah, going to be on Rogers soon, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's my fear. I've already discussed that with the Shaw rep, who told me it's not going to happen. I'm like, yeah, right, okay. Oh, but no, but it's really true. If it doesn't affect you, uh, oh yeah, I understand some yeah people on Rogers there they didn't have cell service. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's too bad. Okay, life goes on. So if if you're not affected by it um, now, but but John's right, the two the two situations are are totally totally different. Mm-hmm. And uh, just as a a parting
2: thought, maybe this is something for a t-shirt, and I think it harkens back to something Molly said. I can't believe I just said harkens, but you wouldn't get your legal advice from your communications person. Please don't get your communications advice from your lawyers. They're both important, but give them equal weight in the boardroom. I see people nodding their heads. Um, Thank you very much. uh, Shauna Bruce, Grant Ainsley, Molly McPherson, and John Paranac, of course, Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. And uh, I really appreciate everybody's time here. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks, everybody.
3: Thanks, everyone.
0: Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.